0: And the reading is uh, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy, My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Graham. So, if you've got a Bible open, I'd encourage you just to keep it, keep it open in front of you. Is anyone here thirsty this morning? Two. Brilliant. Let's pray. Oh God, whether we know it or not, we are thirsty for you. Our souls pant for you. So, please, Lord, stir up in us an even greater thirst. Open the eyes of our hearts to see that only you can truly satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. Allow us to taste your goodness this morning, and may the taste of it make us long for more. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Satisfy us with the water of the Spirit that will become in us a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. Amen. So during this autumn term, we're working our way through the Old Testament book of the Psalms, the prayer book at the heart of the Bible. Now, the book of Psalms is a rather peculiar book in many ways because it's in the Psalms especially that we see so clearly the mystery at the heart of the Bible itself, that it's both a human word and a divine word. The Psalms are a, a collection of Prayers and songs by humans like you and me to God. And yet they're also God's word to us. They're from God. He inspired their writing, He was the the power at work within those who recorded and preserved them. And the Psalms reveal to us more of who God is, what He's like, how we can relate to Him, how we can know Him for ourselves. And that knowledge of God isn't just meant to be head knowledge, it's meant to be heart knowledge. It's meant to help us experience union with God in prayer. The point of the Psalms is to help us to pray. And so today in our exploration of the Psalms, uh, we are looking at them as a, a language of prayer. And today we come to Psalm 42, a prayer of despair. Now, I recognize that it might not seem like the most fitting psalm for a joyful occasion like a baptism. But I actually think it's quite appropriate for a day like today. Why? Because Minnie's starting out her life and journey of faith and walking with God encompasses both the beautiful, the breathtaking highs of human life, and also the deep, dark valleys, the places none of us want to go, but all of us at some point in our lives do go. The Bible is utterly realistic about the struggles and challenges that we face in life. Despair is a very part, real part of our human experience. So the question this psalm brings to the surface is, how do we go on with God In those times of despair. And so to begin, I just want to briefly look at the heading of Psalm 42, which we normally all ignore. But it reads this. For the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah. Now I can see you're all on the edge of your seat here, understandably. I know it doesn't sound very exciting, but it does tell us a couple of important things. The first thing it tells us is that Psalm 42 is a song for the director of music. It's a song. The sons of Korah were the priestly worship leaders in the Jerusalem temple. They were the Jacquelines of their day shaking your head at me. Why does that matter? Well, because poetry and song have a way of stirring up and carrying our emotions in a way that plain prose can't. We are emotional creatures. That's how God made us, and he isn't embarrassed by that. We're not just brains on legs. So Psalm 42 is intended to help us not only express our emotions, but also to shape our emotions toward God. But the second thing that this uh, heading tells us is that it's a math Now, I know that you're all conversant with ancient Hebrew, so, uh, so you know, I don't need to explain any more. Um, no. Bible scholars aren't completely sure what that word means, so sometimes they don't translate it and they just leave it as masculine, but the, it seems to come from the, the Hebrew root word that means to make wise, or to enlighten, or to instruct. So when applied to a psalm like this, what people think it means is it's a song to meditate on, one that's meant to teach us something. Like we said at the start about the book of Psalms as a whole, they're both a human word and a divine word. They're both songs sung to God, but also God's way of showing us more of who he is and what he's like. Song and instruction, head and heart. This psalm is meant to engage both our feeling and our thinking. So, without. that... In mind, let's look at what the author of this psalm has to say about his situation. So just skip down with me if you've got your Bible open to to verse 3. He says, My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? He's experiencing an, an overwhelming sense of sadness, of pain, of anxiety. It, later on in verse 5, he says that his soul is disturbed within him. Literally, that word means in turmoil. In verse 9, he calls out to God. He says, Why have you forgotten me? In verse 10, he complains that his enemies taunt him so much so it causes him physical pain. You've been there, haven't you? Be honest, you've been there. You've experienced times like that, haven't you? Of course you have. You're human. (laughs) These are real, everyday human emotions that he's grappling with. And if you've ever felt these emotions or think it possible that you might just feel some of these emotions at some point in the future, then this psalm is for you. Therefore, in the time that we have together, I just want to explore what this psalm has to teach us about how to pray when we are in seasons of deep despair like this. There might be some of you who are in that place right now. There are some of you who perhaps are are on the hilltops right now, but maybe this is a season that is coming. None of us wants it to come, but maybe it will come down the road. What can we learn from Psalm 42 to keep us going on with God when it feels like we're drowning? That's the goal of today's message. And so I just want to show four things that the psalmist does to fight and contend for hope in the midst of despair so that Psalm 42 can strengthen us in our own seasons of despair. So first, he's real with God. Second, he talks back to himself Third, he remembers God's goodness. And fourth, he thirsts for God's presence. So let's just take those one at a time. He's real with God. And so that's the the first thing for us to, to see and take away and take to heart is that prayer is meant to be real. Sometimes we feel like we have to be very prim and proper in our prayers There are some topics it's not appropriate to pray about. We have to follow a certain formula. We have to dig out the dictionary and find the fanciest words. Anyone ever feel like that? Where the author of this psalm says, baloney! It's rubbish! If that's true, this biblical author didn't get the memo. Hear how real he is. Verse 9, I say to God, why have you forgotten me? He's shaking his fist at God in prayer. Why have you forgotten me? Are you allowed to do that? Yes, you're allowed to do it. It's in the Bible. He says in verse 7, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. God, you're making this tidal wave come over me. You can have a go at God in your prayers. He's saying, you've done this to me. It feels like you're a million miles away. I don't understand what's going on. We can be real with God when we pray. God wants us to be real with him. Why? Because prayer is about relationship. And real relationship requires truth. How far would you get on in any relationships with your family or your friends if we all just did that very British thing of whenever someone asked, how are you doing? It's like, yeah, I'm fine. How deep do you think your relationships would get? Not very deep at all. What a wonderful first lesson this is. Pray what's on your mind. Pray what you're feeling. If you're feeling overwhelmed and distressed and lost and confused, tell him. The temptation when we go through seasons of despair is to pull back, to pull away from God. But in fact, this psalm shows that we need to do the opposite. We need to press into him even more. So rant, rave, fume, vent, get it all out, but do it to God. Do it with God. You see, there there are some of you who are are parents in this room. and Many of you who have been involved with uh, kids or grandkids. Um, If there's one thing I struggle with as a parent, it's when my children give me the silent treatment. When I can see that there's something wrong and they don't tell me. I would much rather them rant and rave and scream in my face than not say anything at all. And if that's true of human parenting, how much more true is it with our Heavenly Father? He wants us to tell Him because He wants us to enjoy a relationship with Him And we can't do that, not a real relationship, if we never say what's on our hearts. Pete Gregg, um, who has written a lot on prayer, uh, one of my prayer heroes says this. He says, The best bit of advice I ever received about how to pray was this. Keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. You've got to keep it simple so that the most natural thing in the world doesn't become complicated, weird, and intense. You've got to keep it real because when life hurts like hell, you're going to be tempted to pretend you're fine. And then at other times when you make a mess of things, you're going to be tempted to hide from God, which never really works, asked Jonah. uh, And end up hiding from yourself, which works quite well. And you've got to keep it up because life is tough. The battle is fierce and God is not an algorithm. The journey of faith demands a certain bloody mindedness of us all, not least in the realm of prayer. So let me just distill that first point down to this. Don't play act with God, it won't work. He knows what's in your head already. Don't try and bluff Him. He is the one to whom all hearts are open all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. So if we can't fool God, what's the point of trying? But isn't that also good news? Isn't it incredible that we don't have to pretend with God? Isn't it incredible that God allows us to call a spade a spade? that we can go to him at any time when we're at our rawest, our most tender, and we can say what we're feeling, even if it's not necessarily 100% theologically accurate. I mean, just take that line, you've forgotten me. Can God forget anyone? And yet, God seems to think it's okay for us to say that. You know, there's there's a line in the book of Job, Uh, where Job is ranting and raving. It's most of the book of Job, to be fair. Um, But he talks about these are words for the wind. When you're angry or upset or distressed, do you say things that you don't, in all honesty, mean, but you're just exploding? Words for the wind. God allows us to pray our words for the wind. Seconds, he talks back to himself. Did you catch the the repeated refrain in verses 5 and 11? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So just a, a quick question for you. See who's paying attention. Who's the psalmist talking to there? Himself. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Derek Kidner, who's written an excellent commentary on the Psalms, says of these two verses, it is an important dialogue between the two aspects of the believer, who is at once a man of convictions and a creature of change. He's called to live in eternity, his mind stayed on God, but also in time, where mind and body are under pressures that cannot and should not leave him impassive. In other words, faith is a fight. And prayer is a weapon we use to wage this war for our souls. Uh, David Martin Lloyd Jones, who uh, used to be uh, the minister of Westminster Chapel in London, said that one of the biggest reasons why people are, are unhappy is because they're listening to themselves instead of talking to themselves. And I know that as I say that, a number of you are thinking, "Isn't talking to yourself a sign of madness?" That's not what he means. What he means is that we wake up in the morning listening to the thoughts and feelings and emotions that swirl inside of us, saying things like, you messed up big time yesterday. Or, you'll never get through that meeting today. And we just surrender to them. But he said there is an alternative You can talk back. You can remind yourself of what's true, of who God is, of what God's done, what God has promised to to do. So this psalm says, don't just listen to yourself. Talk back. But you ask, "What, what do we say? Preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of what's true. That's, uh, this is why it's so important for us to be people who know this book. If we're suffering and we don't know what God is doing, where he is, cling on to a verse like Romans 8, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and according to his purposes. If you're worried that... You don't have enough to make it through. Cling on to the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If you're scared. If you're feeling worthless. If you're not sure who you are. Take your soul in hand with the words of Isaiah 43 verse 1. Fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Talk back. Look to God's promises, not just to your problems. So the psalmist remembers God's goodness. Look at verse 6 with me. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. I've said it before. And no doubt, I'll say it many, many more times whilst I'm at this church. The word therefore is, brilliant. Some of you have been listening. Praise the Lord. The word therefore is therefore a reason. It's building on something. In other words, because my soul is downcast, the only proper response is to remember you. If a downcast soul is the diagnosis, remembering God is the remedy. Now, of course, this is closely linked to the previous point of talking back to ourselves by remembering God's promises, but it's more than that too. Because remembering in the Bible is more than just recollecting something from the past. It's it's actually about actively calling something to the front of your minds. So what does it mean to remember God? Well, first it means to remember that God exists, and that sounds really, really obvious, doesn't it? But actually, when God seems distant, when life's hard, it's actually really important just to remind ourselves, God is real. He is real. It might not feel like it, but he is real. Second, we remind ourselves of who God is and what he's done. We we read the word. We take encouragement from the ways that God has worked in the past, which we see in the Bible. And we remind ourselves, my God is a God who makes a way where there is no way. My God is a God who takes a boy's picnic and uses it to feed thousands. My God is a God who raises the dead. But third, we've also got to remember our own experience of God. We have to call to mind the times when we have experienced God in our own lives. And we see this in verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. What's he doing? He's remembering the times he spent worshipping with God's people. For him, his time at church, the house of God, wasn't a bore, wasn't a chore. It was a delight. Some of you are thinking, good heavens, is that possible? The Bible scholar Christopher Ash says what he misses is not some solitary mystical experience of God, but the corporate throng of enthusiastic temple worship of which he may have been a leader. So, one of the reasons why we commit to worshiping together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday instead of worshiping alone at home is because we encourage one another to keep going. Keep going. More than that, though, the author of Psalm 42 remembers specific times when God felt very, very close. Have you had those times when you've been worshipping that God felt very, very close? Where his spirit was so thick in the air you could feel, almost feel him. Where... Someone was speaking and they said something and it pierced your heart. Remember those times. John Piper writes, What we do in corporate worship with other Christians is a real transaction with the living God. God means for these encounters with him in corporate worship to preserve our faith now in a way that we will remember later. He is confirming his faith in the midst of turmoil and discouragement by remembering how real God was in corporate worship. Saints, when you're in despair and discouragement, Call to mind when those times when God has felt so close. Those times when his spirit was so near that the hairs on the back of your neck were standing on end. He is real. Finally, this psalm teaches us to identify our real thirst. It prompts us to ask the question, what is it that I want when I want X, Y, or Z? So look with me, verses 1 or T. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? What's the psalmist's real longing? God. What does he need most of all? God. Isn't this incredible? It's not relief from his suffering or escape from his enemies. No, what his soul pants for like a parched deer in the wilderness is God. The life-giving presence of God is what he needs most of all. The reason he pines for the house of God in Jerusalem is because it was the place where God had promised to meet with his people in the Old Testament. What he's doing in those first couple of verses is saying, God, you're enough. If I have you, I've got what I need. You see, that's what we need in times of suffering and despair. Often we think we need answers. But when you're in the pit... Yes, you say, why is this happening to me? I don't understand it. But is that what you want? No, what you want is someone there with you. You want to know you're not alone. You want to know that you can get through. That's what you want. And that's not to say that that question, why, isn't important. It's just that's not what you need right then. You don't want someone to hand you a philosophical treaty and say, here you go, here's the reason for your suffering that isn't going to help anyone. What they need is someone to be with them, not necessarily to say anything. In fact, often our silent but secure presence is the greatest gift that we can give to someone who is overwhelmed with grief. Well, I think the psalmist is essentially saying in these first two verses is God It's your presence that makes life possible. Because you live, I can face tomorrow. And you know, Christianity is utterly unique among the religions of the world. Because only Christianity claims that God is with us in our suffering. That he himself has become fully human and has walked through the valley of the shadow of death. No other world religion says that. But more than that, Christianity is the only one of the religions of the world that says not only did God walk through the valley of the shadow of death for us, with us, but he did it for us, that God himself became God forsaken on the cross so that you and I might never have to experience that God forsakenness to be cut off from his life-giving presence forever. And of course, when we're in despair, we ask why, and that's not wrong. But what we really need, what we really long for deep down, isn't a theological treatise. We want to know God's presence. And So I want to put it to you this morning that a sense of God's presence, sorry, a sense of God's absence, is the next best thing there is to a sense of God's presence. Why? Because you can't miss something you've never had. If you're thirsty for God, it's because you know there's something missing. You know, it's the same with pain. Is pain a bad thing? Well, none of us likes to feel pain, but actually, if none of us felt pain, we'd all be dead. That's one of the most horrible things about the disease of leprosy is it numbs the victim to any sense of pain by attacking their nerve endings. So a leper never feels pain. But it also means that they can walk into a fire and not feel a thing. And the fire still burns them. It still hurts. It still kills them. Because it's not the pain that kills. The pain says there's something wrong. There's something not right. And it's the same with that feeling of thirst. None of us enjoys feeling thirsty, but that feeling of thirst says, you need water. And so don't waste your despair. Rather, let it lead you to the river of God. The writer Richard Rohr says, We seldom go willingly into the belly of the beast. Mature spirituality will always teach us to enter willingly, trustingly into the dark periods of life, which is why we speak so much of faith or trust. Transformative power is discovered in the dark, in questions and doubts, seldom in the answers. Yet this goes against our cultural instincts. We usually try to fix or change events in order to avoid changing ourselves, Wise people tell us that we must learn to stay with the pain of life without answers, without conclusions, and some days without meaning. That is the dark path of contemplative prayer. Grace leads us to a state of emptiness, to that momentary sense of meaninglessness in which we ask, what is it all for? It seems some form of absence always needs to precede any deepening notion of presence desire makes way for depth so let me just land the plane by saying it's not wrong for us to want relief from our suffering and to ask god for it not at all god wants us to be honest with him to tell it like it is. But I believe that this psalm is also in the Bible for a reason to show us that what we need most is God. And it sound, may sound hopelessly trite, but it's true. Martin David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I mentioned earlier, writes that the terrible, tragic fallacy of the last hundred years has been to think that all human, humanity's troubles are due to his environment. And that to change the man, you have nothing to do but to change his environment. That is a tragic fallacy. It overlooks the fact that it was in paradise that man fell. So more important than change in our circumstances is the right company in our circumstances. The company of God. Now there are hurting people here this morning because there are hurting people here every week. And so to you I simply say put your hope in God. Be real with him. Don't pretend it's all sunshine and roses, if it isn't. Don't polish your prayers. Talk back to your soul. Cling on to the promises of God and preach them to yourself over and over and over again. Remember God's goodness. Actively take time to call to mind the ways in which you've met with God, the ways you've seen him at work in your life. And let those memories lead you to cry out, Do it again, God! And finally, thirst for God's presence. Recognize that He is all you need. So tell Him you're thirsty. And if, in all honesty, you can't tell Him you're thirsty, tell Him that you want Him to make you thirsty. The fight for hope is real and it's ongoing. But prayer in despair is faith that stays there. So I'm going to suggest we we close by praying together the words of a wonderful prayer by a great man of God called AWT, so the word's are going to be on the screen. What I suggest is we just roll through the, 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 uh, the slides slowly just so you have a chance to, to have a look over them, and then I'll invite us to uh, just pray them together in a moment. Okay, so that's, that's the prayer. So I'm going to pray it. If you'd like to, to make this prayer your own, please do feel free to join in as well. O oh God, I have tasted your goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me your glory, I pray, so that I may know you truly. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. Amen. Amen. So we are uh, going to... Move towards the end of our our, our service uh, with in, in a time of song. First, we're going to just hear uh, the words of the song uh, based on Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water. And I just encourage us, just in this time, just to as you're hearing it, just to allow those words to speak to you afresh. And then after that, we will uh, sing uh, sing a final song together. And like I said, we're aware that there will be lots of people here in different situations, and perhaps you are feeling in the pit right now. And if you would appreciate someone just to come alongside you and pray with you and pray for you, because sometimes when we are in that pit, it's really hard to pray by ourselves. So if you would appreciate someone to come alongside you in prayer, uh, then our prayer chapel will be open here. There will be a prayer ministry team available. And they would love to pray with you. So let's just sit for this one and listen and reflect on the words of the song. If you would appreciate prayer, please do come and pray.